Welcome to Expanding Your Faith. This week, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court of the United States. There's a lot to talk about this week, as a bunch of different things have happened. From uh, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson's nomination uh, hearings, uh, confirmation hearings, to uh, the Supreme Court's ruling uh, that split the court about whether or not Joe Biden was the commander-in-chief of the U.S. Armed Forces, uh, and as well as uh, Clarence Thomas and his wife, um, and their issues now with January 6th brouhaha, uh, normally called an insurrection, or an attempted coup against the United States government. So... There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to talk about, and I'm sure that a lot of people will not uh, agree with us. But I hope that you'll at least take the time to kind of think about what we say, look up some information for yourself, become informed and educated about some of the going ons this week when it comes to the United States Supreme Court. So let's start first with um, um, the issue of the President of the United States and whether or not he is Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces. A group of Navy SEALs had sued the uh, Navy as well as the President of the United States because they had been removed from active duty due to the fact that they refused to get the COVID vaccine. And they said that essentially Joe Biden and the military generals, the Joint Chiefs, and uh, the Pentagon did not have the authority to remove them from active duty because it was a violation of their religious freedoms. Because they were objecting to the COVID vaccine on grounds of religious freedom. And the court uh, narrowly uh, said that the Constitution gives the President full authority as Commander-in-Chief to decide um, what constitutes the ability to uh, serve our nation in time of war or to serve in the military period because he is Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces. I say narrowly because at least three justices stood against that ruling. One of those being Clarence Thomas, another Samuel Alito, and the last Judge Gorsuch. Justice Gorsuch. And at least one of those that uh, affirmed the President's right as Commander-in-Chief was none other than Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who wrote a supporting brief uh, with the majority. Um, essentially, what the Navy SEALs were trying to do is get the court to say that the president doesn't have the authority to make those rulings, that the final arbiter, the final commander-in-chief of the military, is actually the Supreme Court of the United States. This would have opened uh, a huge Pandora's box 
because any military order given by the generals, the Pentagon, or the President of the United States could have then been questioned and go through the whole process of going through the courts before that order has to be carried out. It would essentially grind the work of the military down to an absolute halt while the courts litigated whether or not the order should be adhered to. Most of the justices found that, number one, that's an untenable situation. Number two, it's unconstitutional because the Constitution is very, very clear that the President of the United States is the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces of the United States. And uh, in his dissent, Alito made some really interesting arguments that basically boil down to um, that yes, he listened to the military generals who said that having a sick service man in a elite group such as the Navy SEALs uh, in a situation where they are deployed um, could end up causing severe damage to the mission as well as causing potentially uh, devastating um, consequences to his fellow soldiers in the field as they try to take care of or find help for this sick comrade in the field. And uh, Alito basically said, prove it. Prove it to me that it's going to be a serious consequence. Prove to me that it would do damage to have a sick uh, member of the armed forces on a boat deployed on a sensitive mission. Prove to me that having them in a submarine, um, a sick sailor on a submarine, would be devastating. Prove to me that while they're deployed in combat situations behind enemy lines with a team of five other people, that it might cause harm to them as they try to get medical help for their fellow comrade. So Alito basically said that the standard and burden of proof is if it's never happened, it never will. So until you can prove that it's happened, in other words, there's been a loss of life, there's been soldiers captured by the enemy trying to get help for their fallen comrade, um, or a boat full of people get sick and have to come back during the middle of a sensitive mission, um, then it's never going to happen. It, it's, that's just non sequitur in Alito's mind. So that in and of itself sets a horrible precedence um, because you know dissent uh, also gets used in cases in the future as well. And they know this. The justices know this. They know that anything they write in a majority opinion or in a dissent will eventually be used again in another case. Which I think is why Alito did it. Is he wants to raise the bar and basically make the court the final arbiter for anything while a president who has a D behind his name, Democrat, uh, is in office. 
because if this had come up during a Republican president, I have no doubt Alito would have ruled much differently, as history has proven. Where he has rolled over uh, on these kind of cases when Republicans were president. So, that was one of the major cases this week before the Supreme Court. The second issue before the Supreme Court, because we'll save the last segment for uh, KBJ, because uh, that's going to take a little more time, I think. But um, the second issue before the court this week has been Clarence Thomas and his wife. You see, Miss Thomas not only paid for buses for insurrectionists to go to Washington, D.C., to stage an armed coup against the government. But she was routinely texting leaders of the armed insurrection, as well as senators and representatives aiding the insurrectionists, who are now under investigation by the January 6th Commission um, <clears throat> for their roles in the attempted overthrow of the U.S. government on January 6th of last year. On top of that, Clarence Thomas has failed to recuse himself from cases involving the January 6th insurrection. In fact, in the last case, he was the lone justice to rule against the January 6th commission getting documents and records from the Trump administration. The lone dissent. Which leads us to believe... Where is the line for Clarence Thomas? His wife Jenny is involved in the insurrection. She is potentially criminally liable for death and destruction done on that day because she helped people get there knowing it would be an armed insurrection. And she is, uh, her husband is now working in the Supreme Court to protect her from liability for her actions. When clearly the law states that a justice must recuse themselves if they or any member of their family has a connection to a proceeding that might be seen as a conflict of interest. And he has failed to do that. <laughs> Furthermore, Republican senators and representatives have come to Thomas's defense and said that they don't believe Thomas should have to recuse himself. In other words, it's perfectly fine for there to be a conflict of interest when it comes to Supreme Court justices. And there'll be more on that when we talk about uh, Katanji Brown Jackson in just a few minutes. Um, because that uh, comes into play too. Um, so, Luna, do you have any thoughts on these two stories? Okay. Luna <laughs> says people are stupid since uh, she's not sitting up here enough to be able to be heard. So. <laughs> so let's talk for a moment about uh, one of the most qualified jurists put forward by um, the uh, uh, president, uh, any president in the last probably 20 or 30 years at least, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. Uh, 
uh, who's been going through confirmation hearings this week and what can only be classified as a shit show uh, on display for all of America to see. Um, our senators and representatives who've been questioning her for the last week, um, well, some of them have just outright been downright racist. Um, they have been doing everything that they can to try to disqualify her from her being a Supreme Court justice because they're afraid she might actually rule in favor of people of color in cases that come before the Supreme Court. And we all know that in America, a person of color has no judicial rights when it comes to the Supreme Court in the minds of Republicans. So, one of the uh, people who, uh, we'll start from some of the less controversial things, one of the people to jump on that bandwagon uh, this week was um, the senator from this great state of South Carolina, Lindsey Graham, who decided that he would, uh, number one, impose a religious litmus test on Judge, uh, Judge Bra uh, Jackson um, during the confirmation hearings, uh, in which he asked quite clearly um, if she, uh, what her faith was. Uh, just a moment, and then we'll give you a listen to that. Wonderful family, you should be proud, and your faith matters to you. What faith are you, by the way? Senator, I am um, Protestant. Okay. Um, Non-denominational. Okay. Could you fairly judge a Catholic? Senator, I have a record of fairly I would be yes. judging everyone. I believe you can. I'm just <laughs> asking this question because how important is your faith to you? Senator, personally... Um, my faith is very important, um, but as you know, there's no religious test in the Constitution under under Article Six, and there will be none with me. And <laughs> um, it, it's very important to set aside one's personal views yeah. about things I, I, in the role of a judge. I couldn't agree with you more, and I believe you can. So, uh, on a scale of one to ten. How faithful would you say you are in terms of religion? You know, I go to church probably three times a year, so that speaks poorly of me. <laughs> or do you, do you attend church regularly? Well, Senator, I am reluctant to talk about my faith in this way just because I want to be um, mindful of the need for the public to uh, have confidence in my ability to separate out my personal views. Well, how would you feel if a senator up here said your faith, a dogma lives loudly within you and that's of concern? How would you feel if somebody up here on our side said, you know, you attend church too much for me or your faith is a little bit different to me and they would suggest that it would affect your decision? Would you find that offensive? Senator, I'm... I'm... I would if I were you. I found it offensive when they said it about Judge Barrett. The reason I ask these questions is I have no doubt 
that your faith is important to you, and I have zero doubt that you can adjudicate people's cases fairly if they're an atheist. If I had any doubt, I would, I, I would say so. But the only reason I mention this, Judge, you're reluctant to talk about it because it's uncomfortable. Just imagine what would happen if people on late-night television called you an effing nut speaking in tongues because you've practiced the Catholic faith in a way they uh, couldn't relate to or found uncomfortable. So, Judge, you should be proud of your faith. I am convinced that whatever faith you have and how often you go to church, it will not affect your ability to be fair. And I just hope going in the future that we all can accept that and that uh, Judge Barrett, I thought, was treated very, very poorly. Uh, so I just wanted to get that out. Let's talk about family. So, in other words, Lindsey Graham spent all of that time, about three minutes, grilling uh, uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson um, about her faith so that he could make a point that he believed someone who currently sits on the Supreme Court, who has rammed through two days before the election for a new president, was judged unfairly for her faith. And she sits on the court as a justice. So, I don't understand where that whole point came from. Mm -hmm. She sits on the court as a justice, and yet he felt it was necessary to discuss a personal vendetta he has against uh, Democrats for asking Barrett about her religious beliefs, which she had made clear she would use against others in ruling on the court. A reminder, Justice Barrett never tried a case before she was elected or before she was confirmed to the Supreme Court. She never sat on a bench. She didn't have a whole history of adjudicating cases as a judge. She had barely acted as an attorney before being nominated by President Trump. The biggest concern was not the fact that she had religious beliefs, but the fact that she was absolutely unqualified to sit in that position. And yet they rammed her nomination through. She is a justice on the Supreme Court. So this was an unfair vendetta by Graham, and it came across very badly for him. So then we have uh, Ted Cruz from the state of Texas who decides to uh, bring his half a cent uh, to the table and discuss uh, critical race theory with someone who has lived in a race uh, the racist portion of America for most of her life, all of her life. And, uh, of course, he makes sure to point out that he is from Harvard Law, uh, as is uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson, who, of course, 
uh, Harvard Law is where critical race theory began in the early days. But uh, let's listen to a little clip of Ted Cruz. They include a book called Anti-Racist Baby uh, by Ibram Kendi. And there are portions of this book that, that, that I find really quite remarkable. One portion of the book says babies are taught to be racist or anti-racist. There is no neutrality. Another portion of the book, they recommend to babies confess when being racist. Now, this is a book that is taught at Georgetown Day School to students in pre-K through second grade, so four through seven years old. Um, do, do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that, that babies are racist? Senator... I do not believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than, that they are victims, that they are oppressors. I don't believe in any of that. But what I will say is that when you asked me whether or not this was taught in schools, critical race theory, my understanding is that critical race theory as an academic theory is taught in law schools, and to the extent that you were asking the question, I understood you to be addressing public schools. Georgetown Day School, just like the religious school that Justice Barrett was on the board of, is a private school. So, so you agree critical race theory is taught at Georgetown Day School? I don't know because the board is not um, the board does not control the curriculum. The board does not focus on that. That's not what we do as board members. So I'm actually not sure. Well, and I'll note that the board is is chaired by Professor Fairfax, your college roommate, who introduced you yesterday. So the two of you serve on the board together. Um, another book that is on the. Uh, Summer reading for third through fifth grade is a book called Stamp for Kids, again by Ibram Kendi. Uh, I read the entirety of the book, and I will say it is uh, an astonishing book. Uh, on page 33, it asks the question, can we send white people back to Europe? That's on 33. That's what's being given to eight and nine years old. It also, on page 115, says the idea that we should pretend not to see racism is connected to the idea that we should pretend not to see color. It's called colorblindness. Skipping ahead, here's what's wrong with this. It's ridiculous. Skin color is something we all absolutely see. Skipping ahead, so to pretend not to see color is pretty convenient if you don't actually want to stamp out racism in the first place. Now, what this book argues for is the exact opposite of what Dr. King spoke about on the floor of the, of the Lincoln Memorial. And, and are you comfortable uh, with, with these ideas being taught to children as young as four in, in respect to the first book, as young as eight and nine in respect to the second book? Senator, I have not reviewed any of those books, any of those ideas. They don't come up in my work as a judge, which I'm respectfully here to address. In my work as a judge which is evidenced from 
my near decade on the bench. Okay, good. I am then, then let's go back to, to your work as a judge. Uh. So we have, of course, Ted Cruz trying to force uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson to capitulate to the idea that, uh, you know, white people are superior and that black people should not be allowed to have a voice uh, and certainly should not be allowed uh, to um, uh, make... Um, uh, their concerns about racism heard. Uh, the books in which he was referencing, um, there have been several videos done on TikTok and YouTube and others of people actually reading those books in their entirety for people to understand and hear the entirety of what Ted Cruz left out. Uh, number one, the book, the first book he referenced uh, for four and five-year-olds never says babies are born racist. It never says to confess that you're a racist. That is not in the book. Where he got that, nobody can find. Because no book by that title has that line in it. Um... The second book, the portions that he went and said he was skipping ahead, clarify the fact that, um, you know, the notion of sending African Americans back to Africa is just as preposterous of an idea as sending all the whites back to Europe. So the notion that these are racist ideologies coming out of critical race theory is bullshit. And Cruz and the other members of the Senate uh, know this. Uh, Cruz uh, later in his questioning gets into an argument with the chairman because the chairman will not allow him extra time to continue uh, berating uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. Uh, will not allow him to uh, go over her entire decade worth of cases and make her answer for every single ruling she had ever done in a decade. I find this kind of questioning very disturbing given the fact that um, they pushed Amy Comey Barrett through to the Supreme Court with little to no resistance. Um, and made it clear that they were not going to answer questions uh, when it came to whether or not she was qualified to be a jurist and instead pushed her on through and gave her a lifetime appointment uh, to the bench knowing that her main goal as a Supreme Court justice would be to try to reverse Roe versus Wade. Um, I'm not going to play the clip, but there's another clip uh, that you can look up as well. She was questioned heavily about whether or not um, the Second Amendment was actually precedence in the court. The protection of the Second Amendment was precedence of the court, of which she said, yes, it is. Uh, the senator asked 
if um, she would try to overturn that precedent. She said no, that it is a precedence of the court. But then ask her, without even taking a breath, whether or not she viewed Roe v. Wade as precedent of the court. And she says, yes, it is precedent of the court. There is no tiers of precedence. It is precedence of the court. Uh, later in his interviews on Fox News and other outlets, he's made it clear that he cannot support her because of her view of uh, Roe v. Wade being precedent on the court. In other words, she must accept the precedence that people can own a tank and blow up half a city, but she cannot uh, accept precedent of Roe v. Wade or she's not qualified to be a Supreme Court Justice. The amount of hypocrisy and racism being shown in these hearings is appalling. And um, it looks as though uh, she may very narrowly win um, the confirmation to the Supreme Court, but it will be very narrowly. And it speaks to the amount of work that must be done in our country to stamp out this kind of racism and this kind of bigotry and this kind of hatred that is being given a unfettered platform in our nation's capital. So I thought it was important that we bring these issues to light. We'll entertain any questions if there are any from our audience that are watching. Uh, I guess I need to flip back over to you now. Um, and uh, so if anybody has any questions, I'll be happy to answer uh, as best I can. But um, uh, it has been an appalling week for the Supreme Court between the narrow ruling on whether or not the President is Commander-in-Chief, uh, the refusal of Clarence Thomas to accuse himself from cases that affect his wife, Jenny Thomas, and then from this horrible display of racism and bigotry from senators towards Katanji Brown Jackson. Um, so, hopefully you'll take some time. Go watch some of the videos of the confirmation hearings. Um, go watch... Uh, some of what was said afterwards. Uh, what I think is very interesting too is that Mitch McConnell uh, just a couple of days ago uh, made it clear that he would not be voting in support of her confirmation um, after having said just two, uh, almost three weeks ago that she was a very qualified candidate. Um, and so pictures of him in front of a Confederate flag have once again surfaced uh, to remind people that um, the only reason he's not voting for someone he calls very qualified is the color of her skin. So, so I thank you all for joining us uh, for this podcast. We'll go ahead and wrap up. It's a little uh, light this week, but... I thought we'd uh, be a little bit um, uh, longer on that, but I do appreciate everybody joining us. 
And I hope you'll join us again next week when we once again attempt to expand your faith. Keep shining bright, my friends.